Hello, I'm Krista Duncan, founder of Women in Payments, a global network that connects, inspires, and champions women across the global payments industry. Welcome to our Pause for Payments podcast. Every week, we sit down with an inspiring woman leading the way in the field. We'll discuss industry and career-related topics and share personal success stories to inspire and empower the next generation of women leaders. Before we begin, I'd like to thank our sponsors for their continued support. With your help, we can go further, faster. Hello, I'm Christy Duncan, and I'm delighted to be chatting today with Veronique Renault, who's VP Merchant Services Pricing Europe at American Express and based in London. Welcome, Veronique. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Christy. It's a pleasure. Veronique and I will be discussing flexibility, diversity, and authentic leadership in payments. We're all trying to navigate towards this new normal when it comes to how we work. And given that so much has changed over the past couple of years, I'm sure we're going to cover things today that are going to be pertinent to everybody in our audience. So let's get started. Veronique, can you tell us a little bit about this fantastic career that you have at Amex and how you got started there? Yes, absolutely, Luca. I started more than 20 years ago when I was working in a consulting firm in Paris and I was hired by American Express to come to London. And I would tell you that I was attracted by both Amex, which is a fantastic brand, fantastic financial services company, but also I was really attracted to move to London. I will come back to it, but I think like being a French person or being European, living in a foreign city is very uh, interesting. So my career spanned 20 years, as I said, and I've done three different roles at American Express, one in financial, analytical, which is more role I'm doing now as head of pricing, but I have also worked in marketing and product, and I have also worked in client management and business development in the past. Wow, what a great career journey. So you've got covering so many bases. That's fantastic. Today, we're going to talk about a new way of working, navigating our way to this new normal. Can you talk about how you define flexible working models? Yes, so absolutely. So maybe like uh, before I start about the flexible working model, maybe like some context, and you know it, Christy, more than anyone in the payment industry. I think in the 1980s, people were working very much at the office, in cubicles, everybody had their own closed office. In the 90s, 2000s, we moved to open space and everybody, especially I would say in the financial services companies, the culture was very much around work from the office, be available at the office in this open space. And when the pandemic hits, I think it hit us at American Express but other companies quite hard because suddenly, we had to work from home, right? And nobody came to the office. We suddenly discovered Zoom, as we do today, WebEx and all those other technologies where we suddenly, I think on one hand, it was really good because we moved from the conference calls that were very boring in the 2010, 2020 to seeing each other on images. But in the same time, we discovered this 2D dimensional relationship, which was not as good as meeting in person. So with that context, I think what was interesting is that when we asked, in particular at American Express, people when we came back to work after flexible working, what do you want to do? 80% of our workforce mentioned that, in fact, they valued coming back to an office environment. 
there was a sense that we were really missing seeing each other. And what we have done to answer your questions very specifically about flexibility, and I think a lot of companies have adopted this model, is that we have basically three ways of working. You can be either fully office-based, four or five days a week at the office. You can be virtual and you work online most of the time, you're at home most of the time, or as it is the case for the majority of our colleagues, you work from home and at the office. So two or three days a week at home, two or three days a week at the office. And I think that's a balance that's working extremely well for people. I love that flexibility, Veronique, and goodness knows uh, it's always been valuable in our working models. Can you share your thoughts on how we can balance this work from home and working in the office? Yes, so absolutely. So um, what, what I think has happened a lot is that although people, as I mentioned to you, said, I'm very happy to come back from the office, this balance between being at home and being at the office has created a little bit of anxiety. And what we have noticed as well is that some of our people mentioned that they found it very difficult to disconnect from work. So what we have done as leaders is that we have started sharing some tips with our colleagues, with our teams on what can you do to disconnect and really manage effectively this work-life balance. And that can be like things as simple as, you know what, when you are at the office, you come back home, you switch off your laptop, you switch off your mobile phone, you don't work on any digital equipment, and you really try to completely create uh, set boundaries between your work and your home. And that sounds, to be fair, that sounds easy, uh, but it's not always that easy because there is always this urge to be always 90, I mean, 24-7 online. But I would say what's also important is that's the physical aspect of it. But there's some other um, important thing that we are working on is to say, why would you need to work on something before you start jumping on an email or responding on an email or responding on a request? Do you try to take a step back and really just say, okay, why am I doing this work? Is it urgent? Is it important? And looking at the priority of the tasks that we are doing to really make sure that if it's important and if it's urgent, yes, I should be working on it maybe outside office hours. But if it's neither urgent nor important and it's just busy work, maybe I can have a discussion with my leader and try to do it at different times. Um, another lesson that we learned as we worked in the flexible environment is that you really need to have very good technology and very good equipment. Again, if you think about the world before, we were all at the office. A meeting was always at the office. Everybody was present. Then in the pandemic world, we were all online. And in fact, meetings were very easy to organize because we could see our little faces on the screen and it was very to organize. Now, when you say you come from work, you come to work, sorry, two days a week, and you choose those two days because we want to provide maximum flexibility, you need to make sure that even if everybody's at the office and only one or two people are working from home, they should be able to dial in, to connect, to see their face on the screen for the people in the room, for the people in at home, to see everybody in the room and to really feel connected. And I think for me, that's one of the hardest challenge we have in the hybrid environment is to make sure everybody feels connected regardless of where they are located. 
Indeed, such great learnings. I love that setting boundaries, especially when you're working with a global organization like Amex, where the emails are coming in from the other side of the world in the middle of the night, and you certainly can't be on 24-7 to manage that. So setting boundaries is so important. I want to ask, now that we've got this, this such flexibility, which is great and having the technology to facilitate, how do we, how does it impact people's engagement at work? And if they're working from home, how do we foster that collaboration and teamwork? Yeah, so first of all, let me share with you some statistics, because after like about six months of working in this flexible environment, we wanted to make sure we did not lose our colleagues and we did not impact their engagement at work. And in fact, and I'm going to share with you the results of this survey, the results were absolutely fantastic. I mean, 92% of the leaders told us that they felt they could manage their team effectively. 97% of our colleagues mentioned that they could deliver work effectively. 96% of them said they could collaborate effectively. But what I thought was very interesting as well is that 96% of the colleagues felt that they believed, sorry, that the leaders trusted them to do their work regardless of their work location. And for me, that was really the key win because very often you just, you, as a colleague, as a worker, 99% of the people have got very strong integrity. They will work hard and they will pull their weight. But most of us can feel insecure when we are in this flexible environment and we feel we may not be recognized by our leaders. And the fact that such an overwhelming number of people recognize that their leaders trusted them to do their work and trusted them to be able to achieve or even overachieve regardless of their work environment, for me, was a really great success metrics of the flexible worker, of the flexible working environment we are providing. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that collaboration and teamwork is based really so much on trust and and working together. Are there key lessons that you've learned and and are there best practices that that are emerging at Amex? Yeah, so so again, so what I said is that we are still in a learning mode, uh, but I would say, I would almost paraphrase what our CEO was saying, which is almost like respect the flex. And flex may mean something different for every single person. So, for example, some teams have experienced one day a week, everybody comes. So every Tuesday, the entire team is at the office. Some team are saying one day a month, we are all at the office. In my particular team, I'm saying we come two or three days a week. You choose whichever day you come. I'm not going to ask for a specific day a week because my team is large enough that there are sub-teams that may want to be together during one or two days. So if in addition to that, I, I force a fixed day, it's not going to work for the majority of the people because they want to have the flexibility to be together four or five on a Monday or a Tuesday, right? And uh, so I think, I think the... For me, the, where, where we are adapting and we are flexing is that we are saying two days a week. Some teams will say those days have to be set. Something will, some teams will say you choose whichever day you want. But what I would say for me, what has been the most important thing is to make sure that maybe once a month, once every six weeks, whatever is the period that's relevant for your team, 
people are meeting in person and everybody is either in a room or playing a game or going outside, I mean, or having a drink together. Um, I think it's so important to bring the social environment and social interactions at the office, because at the end of the day, we are all human beings. We want to have interactions together. And I think it's very important. And I'm mixing some social events, as I mentioned, but also like actual team days at the office. I've done recently like a Myers-Briggs session with my entire team where we were looking at our personalities. We really did it four hours together in a room. And I said very specifically, nobody will come online. It has to be together because that's the best way to get the most of the session. So I would say providing the flexibility and adapting to the team and making sure that there are some guidelines two days a week but those guidelines are not, are not enforced. Yeah, it's, it's a fine line. And as you say, we're still learning so much yeah. to learn. Indeed. I want to switch gears a little bit, Veronique, and talk about diversity. And we've always known that diversity is so important. Should it still be a priority now that we're trying to navigate this whole new back to work? Yes, absolutely. So I would say, first of all, I'm a fundamental believer that the flexibility we are providing is going to really help diversity because now you can work on functions regardless of the place where you are located and mobility has always been a hindrance for people to make a career and I would say in particular women. Women are less mobile than men. Uh, I think it's some, I mean, you have a lot of articles, but I would say in particular, because the location is no longer a hindrance for you to get a promotion or for you to get a job because you can work virtually because you have this flexible working. So first of all, I think it's going to help. That being said, we still have a long way to go in terms of helping diversity in the workplace. And when we think about diversity and women in payment, we very often think about the gender diversity, right? More women in the financial services. And, and I think the work you are doing, Christy, and women in payment is fantastic to promoting women in the workplace and in financial services in particular. But I would say it's only one aspect. The second one, we've just mentioned it, is the geodiversity. Can you have like, can you have a team made of people from like Brazil, Kenya, India, for me, it's very important when I look at my team, I have a fantastic diversity of people coming from different origins, different race, different ethnicity, religion. So I think that's very, very important. But I would also tell you, Christy, there are two diversity elements which I think are equally important and very often overlooked. The first one is the tenure diversity. As much as I like having young, bright, um, undergraduate students come and join us. And I think it's always fantastic to have them. It's also really good to complement those newcomers with tenured people. And I think a team can only be successful if you really have a balance of, I, I, when I think about my team, I have people who joined my team three months ago, and I have team members that have been here for 15 years because pricing, which is a function I'm leading, is also very technical and requires a lot of knowledge and technical expertise. So I think it's very important to have the tenure and age diversity. And the fourth one, uh, which I think is massively overlooked, but very, very important, is for me the social diversity. Um, we tend to recruit from very high, very good universities, um, 
And I think it's also important. I have, for example, very recently recruited someone who does not have a university degree, who is coming from a servicing implementation background. And this person is adding a ton of value to the team because he's looking at projects so much more like an implementation servicing client-facing lens, which is something I did not have before with more like people having more like master's degrees. I think it's also something very, very important to keep in the teams. I love that. So many different strands of diversity. And you're right. We want to make sure on all different levels, on all different parameters that we've got that diversity across our teams. Very insightful. Thank you for sharing. When it comes to diverse teams, and therefore different needs, cultural backgrounds, aspirations. How can you as a leader, we as leaders, ensure that we've got everybody on the team engaged? Look, it's, um, as I said, look, the, the, the work environment, the physical place we work in will play a role. But I would say it's also quite important to ensure that either with your direct report or my leaders and manage people who manage people, that we are aware of the needs and the development opportunities of everybody. So for example, so, so for me for engagement, I would I would almost have two dimensions within engagement. One is almost the physical um well-being of the person. And I would say at American Express we have some mental health well-being programs that are very good to ensure that if someone doesn't feel like as well or someone does need some punctual help we make sure they are okay and i know it sounds obvious but if physically mentally you don't you're not good you are not yourself you are going through a struggle it's going to be very very difficult for you to be engaged in your work right so i think the physical and the emotional well-being is very important and then once you've done that, you can work on the env- what I would call the environmental well-being or the work environment and making sure you are in a place where people can speak freely, be open with each other, um, and, and work like in a, in, a, in a place where we are all very transparent and we keep the dialogue going between employees and leaders to make sure we address their needs, not only their physical needs and well-being and mental um, wellness, but also uh, meet their career aspirations and their goals uh, to really ensure that day to day they work on things that are meaningful to them, but we also work towards their career goals. So many different approaches to this and so many different levels. This is very insightful. We're just about done here, Veronique. I've got a couple quick questions left. One is, in your opinion, can we talk about flexibility, sorry, flexibility and diversity and how they come together in leadership to, to helping you become a, an authentic leader? Yeah, so maybe something I should have mentioned as well in your previous question, Christy, which is linked to engagement as well, is that first and foremost, I think it's very important to set very clear goals and objectives to everybody. So for example, if you look at American Express, we have a company vision. Then my business unit, which is merchant services, we will have a vision, which is to acquire merchants and make sure we have the best acceptance in the world that we can. And then you set a vision for pricing, which is the team where I belong to, and make sure the team has got clear goals. And the reason why I mentioned that is that 
You can be in the best environment, as I mentioned before, you can be the best leaders. If your team doesn't have clear goals and objectives, it's very, very hard for them to thrive. And then in terms to answer your questions very specifically, in terms of authentic leadership, I would say like, you look, if I recap, promise three things are important, right? One, self-awareness, knowing who you are as a person, as a leader, and being yourself. When you bring yourself to work, you are who you are, right? So that's first self-awareness and being aware, frankly, about your strengths, your weaknesses, your development areas. Nobody is perfect, right? The second thing I've just mentioned it is to lead with a vision and the vision for the company, the vision for the team. Make sure we know where we are. I think that's helping a lot. And the last one, which for me is extremely important, is the listening skills and the honesty. The listening skills, listen to your team, listen to the feedback, organize feedback opportunities, and being very honest. One of the things which I think is the most important and sometimes the most difficult to achieve is to always be consistent. Whether you are in a one-to-one situation, in a meeting with the senior leaders, in a large audience, in a social, casual environment, be consistent, be consistent in your messages. Don't try to say something to someone, something else to someone else. Divert the message. The consistency of the messages and who you are is very important in your authentic leadership. I love this. It's been so insightful. Thank you so much. I've got one last question, and this is a question we ask everybody who joins us on Pause for Payments. If you were to share some career advice with the rising stars in our audience, what would that be? Know yourself. Know who you are. What you want to do. I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? Where do you want to work? And, and work towards this objective, right? There is nothing worse than working in a job where you're not thriving, right? Know yourself and what you want to do. Be clear about it. Speak to, and back to my consistency message, be clear about it and be consistent by saying, if you want to be a sales client manager's business developer, it's a very different career than being an analytical strategic person working in pricing, for example. So be very clear about who you are, what you want to do, what you thrive for, and then you will be extremely successful, right? But if you are not clear about who you are and what you want to do, I don't think anybody can can help you. So sometimes I feel people come to me with career advice and and, and I cannot help them because they don't know what they want, right? So articulate what you want, articulate what your objectives are, and then I'll help you get there. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been very insightful, Veronique. It's been a wonderful discussion. And thank you for sharing your insights today. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much, Christy. I really appreciate our discussion. So thank you for inviting me. It was an absolute pleasure to be part of this Women in Payment Pose conference. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you also to our audience as we explore the exciting world of payments with Veronique and other amazing and inspiring women leaders from around the world of payments. Pause for Payments is produced by Women in Payments, and you can learn more about us at womeninpayments.org. You can also sign up to be a member and gain access to our global membership portal, where you'll find the latest industry trends, exciting career opportunities, and so much more, all created by women for women. 
All of our episodes can be found on many good podcast streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please remember to rate and subscribe. It really helps us to get found by others. Thanks everyone for listening.